I am so glad you're here. And um, I want to let the ninth graders know, usually the first night of confirmation, um, we talk about baptism and we talk about the promises. First of all, the promise that God has made for you and what your parents have promised on your behalf because this last year of confirmation is all kind of figuring that out because in about nine months you're going to be standing up here and you're going to be saying, I'm claiming this promise on my own and this is what I believe and it becomes very personal. And you stand up there as yourself in all the ways that you show up in this world and name how God is present and what he's about in your life. And um, Pete and I thought it would be really meaningful to include you in on our time of talking about what it means to be called because there's a deep connection between baptism and vocation, what God is about in your life and how you express that and who you are called to be. And um, we're really honored to have Dr. Michael Chan with us. He is um, a professor at Luther Seminary, so that means... Um, he does the work of teaching pastors, Pastor John and I. Um, that is our college that we went to um, to receive our Master of Divinity, and a lot of people um, attend that school. And he teaches Old Testament, and one of my favorite things about Dr. Chan is he gets so excited about how Bible stories engage and intersect in our lives each and every day, that it's not reading something of the past but it's truly believing in a living word of God speaking to us now. And he is going to be all about that. Ninth graders, tonight you are here. For the rest of us, we're going to be together for four weeks. And then after Dr. Chan's time, um, Dr. Pat Kiefert and Pat Taylor Ellerson are going to do another four-week session on calling. So we're going to spend all of this fall talking about that. And Dr. Chan, thank you so much for being with us. Welcome. Please help thank me you. welcome Dr. Chan. Thank you. Thanks, I appreciate it. Well, let me get all my stuff up here. All these props actually matter for the night. If, I, if you see me hobbling around a bit, it's because I had a, a particularly vigorous workout this afternoon, and my trainer was kind of kicking my butt, and so uh, my right knee is, is bearing the consequences of that. Well, hey, let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll jump right into this, okay? The Lord be with you. Okay, let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you that from birth until death, you are calling us into new life. I thank you that begins also with the waters of baptism where you claim us as your own, even when we are not able to utter complete words or complete sentences. I thank you that we emerge from these waters of baptism as those who are called by you, and not only called and treasured, but also called and sent out into the world uh, to be your hands and feet. In the name of Jesus, amen. Um, so it's really cool to be with you, and I love the fact that this is going to be a kind of intergenerational time. It's, it's ninth graders on up. Is that <laughs> pretty much what it is, ninth graders on up? Um, and uh, that's awesome, and I think it's really cool. And a little bit later on tonight, there's going to be some opportunity for you all to interact with one another uh, around a specific text. Let me talk a bit about the text that we're going to deal with over the next month. I'm going to be here for four weeks, right? Am I getting remember that correctly? Yeah. I'll be here for four weeks on Wednesday nights, and we're going to be discussing this topic of vocation. Okay, that's a big word. Hold on to it for a second. But we're going to be looking at it mainly through journey stories, 
Stories of journeys. Now that's part of the reason why I wore my hat tonight and why I brought my, my traveling backpack. When I'm going on little day trips, I like, just like to bring this little thing. And uh, I can fit a lot of stuff in it. I can fit my water bottle on it. I, my hat has been with me in Israel over the past couple of summers when I've been visiting there. And it's just kind of my little, uh, my little companion. And so I brought it tonight to kind of set this theme of journey and vocation. Now, Pastor Beth actually had a really nice way of saying it. Vocation is about what God is up to in your life. Now, that means all of life. Okay, so that has to do with your relationship with your parents or those you live with. It has to do with your relationship between you and your teacher, between you and your classmates, between you and the pets that you take care of if you have those, between you and your pastor, between you and your friends. All of that is the world of vocation. And so the most important question we can ask ourselves when we're thinking about vocation is simply, in this particular relationship, in, in where I am right now as a student or as a <coughs> grandparent or as a pastor or as a parent or an uncle, whatever it might be, what is God calling me into? What is God calling me into? Where do I see God's promises emerging? Where do I feel deep in my soul God calling me toward? Do you remember the story of Moses in Exodus 3 through 4? Remember, it's when he's out in the desert tending the sheep, and then he sees this bush, right? This bush. He kind of turns, he turns to the side, and he sees this bush. And, and that's a moment of calling. And I think we're going to look at that story next week. I haven't quite decided. I want to see how we, do, how we do tonight. But it's interesting that curiosity and intrigue become the entry for Moses into his vocation. Curiosity, intrigue. What is that weird thing over there? What, why is my curiosity piqued by that? What is that strange thing out there? What, what are those things that preoccupy you? While you're at school, while you're maybe in your, maybe you're in your English literature class or your chemistry class, and for whatever reason, there's something magnetic there, and you just think, I have to know more about that. Or somehow, my pa- I feel like I can actually do something about that in the world. I actually have skills that will, that will help me meet that need in the world. That's what vocation is. It's when you look across your life, all aspects of it, and you say, God, what are you doing? That's such a simple question, isn't it? God, what are you doing? But I think that's what vocation's all about. Vocation is life. It's all around us. It's uh, uh, in all of our relationships. And the vocational question, the big question is simply, God, what are you doing? So what we're going to do now is we're going to ask that question uh, in the context of a certain biblical story. How many of you have heard of Abraham before? Okay, Abraham and Sarah. These are great ancestors of the faith. Their stories are mainly found in the book of Genesis. And so we're going to look at a story of Abraham's journey. Uh, it's found in Genesis 12. And we're going to read verses 12, 1 through 20 together in our small groups. And what I want you to do is I don't want you to hang out with your friends tonight. I am, I'm going to do what, uh, well, you're going to meet with Pat Keyford, I think, next week, a really good friend of mine. He likes to say this, go find a reasonably friendly-looking stranger. <laughs> a reasonably friendly-looking stranger, and I'm going to have you try to find five of them, 
okay? So that's the first task for tonight, is I want you to mix around and no groups of like all kids, you know, all high school kids or all parents or whatever. These need to be really, really mixed up because that's where the joy is going to be. Transgenerational reading, when we read across generations, that's some of the most important reading that we can do because time is a teacher, Okay, And that's true not only for people who have been on this earth for decades, but also for those of you who have only been on this earth for less than two decades. You have something to say to those who are older than you. Because where you are at your place in life right now with the fears that you have, with the hopes that you have, with your enthusiasm for life or your despair over life, what all of those things you're going to bring to that text. And nobody else can do that. Only you can do that. And so your voice is valuable. The Spirit is going to speak to you. And so I'm going to have you get into groups, and I'm going to try and set a tone of expectation. And we're not just going to read to read. We're going to read and expect that God's Spirit is going to speak to us as we read together, as we listen deeply to one another's voices. So why don't you take about a a couple minutes, one or two minutes, and find a group of five. Again, reasonably looking strangers. It's good to have strangers. And make sure those groups are intergenerational. Groups of five, go. Okay, this looks pretty good. Um, The next thing you need to do once you're in your groups is go find some place in the pews to sit down, kind of circle the wagons. You, you're going to need Bibles, okay? And I just grabbed one from the pew, so I think it's, it's usually easier if everyone's working with the same translation. The first thing I need everyone to do is open up to the book of Genesis. That's super easy because it's the first book, okay? It's the very first book of the Bible, and you're going to turn to the 12th chapter, chapter number 12. Um, what we're going to do is what we're going to call dwelling in the Word together, okay? Now, a lot of times when you invite a teacher to come in and, you know, do a session like this, it's usually, it's kind of like this lecture scenario, right, where you have sort of the expert who's going to come and dispense all this information, expert knowledge to you. Well, we're going we're gonna to destabilize that a little bit. And what I'm going to say is that God is at work in this audience and in all of your lives. That is a fact, Okay, that's a given. And God is going to speak to us as we interact with this word based on what's happening in your life, based on the fears and concerns that you have. The Spirit's going to help you see things in this text. So that's going to be our expectation. We're going to expect that God will address us through this text and through one another. So we're in chapter, actually let's go to chapter 11, verse 31. And what you and your small group are going to do is you're going to read chapter 11, verse 31, and then you're going to read through 12, verse 20. Okay, so it's kind of a little bit of a longer text. There are a couple stories in there. And I don't want you, we're not reading here like for speed, right? No race here. In fact, I think what might be best is if you just go one verse at a time and have each person read one verse. And this is not speed reading, okay? Um, We're not reading for information, we're reading for an encounter. Okay, that's different. We're not reading for information, we're reading for encounter. So if you want to, here's the food metaphor. We're not reading this text in the way that we eat at McDonald's, which is like fast food, you know, get in, get out, done in five minutes, and then you're on your way. This is like sit-down style, 
Okay? This is sit down where you actually go, you know, you might have to wait a little bit to get the food. And because the food's so yummy, you maybe want to pause and taste it before you inhale it. That's how we're going to read tonight, okay? So what you're going to do is it's 12, let's see, it's 12, it's 7.08 right now. I want you to take until 7.25. And here's the deal. You're going to read one verse at a time together in your circle. And then you're just going to ask of each person, what struck you in that text? Where, what, what made you want to dig deeper? Where maybe did you find yourself in that text? Where did you find a kind of resonance? Or maybe there's a question that the text raises for you that you think, well, if I had more time, I think I might want to explore that. Okay? So you're going to read the text and see what you find there. And expect that God's going to speak through that. So why don't you take till 725, and I want you to assign one person, one bold soul, um, who will serve as a kind of uh, reporter <coughs> for your group, who will just say, well, these are some of the things that came up while we talked. Now this person has to be willing to talk through this scary piece of equipment, okay? The microphone. So get to it till 725, and then we'll reconvene. Okay. Um, we said that we were surprised that he had to lie and that he put down all his stuff and just went. Yeah, so the, thank you, that's, that's really interesting. So yeah, that's what Abraham does, right? He, he gets this call from God to go from his homeland to another land. How many of you have been to another land before? I've traveled around. Yeah, and it's... Going to another land often comes with many fears, right? And even more so within the ancient world. Now, does anybody know where Abraham's homeland was? Ur. Where is this place called Ur? What's the modern-day country in which this place is found? It's Iraq. So modern-day Iraq. The United States has been in uh, a conflict in Iraq for uh, over a decade. And um, this is the land where Abraham was born. And then he was called to travel all the way to the other side of the Middle East to where modern-day state of Israel is. A very, very long journey. Now, this group also noticed this strange story that follows upon it about Abraham lying. What, what did your group think was so interesting about that? Um, Maybe some of the others would be willing to share. No, yeah. Mira's good. <laughs> what was that? I said Mira's good. She's good. Okay. Well... We said that we've always been taught that honesty is like good and you're supposed to be honest, so it was surprising that he lied and it was like he felt okay to lie. Yeah, how many, how many of you in the other groups were kind of interested in this, this idea of Abraham lying? How many of you picked up on that? Yeah, did you have any insights to share? Any ideas on what might be going on here? Yeah. Okay, let's, let's use the mic just so that everybody can hear. Thank you. We kind of found it interesting that he was willing to follow God, but he didn't trust him completely because God called him to go to this land, but he still felt like he had to be deceitful when he got there. So he didn't totally surrender. Yeah, there is this kind of thing where, on the one hand, Abraham, one day, so let's say Abraham wakes up one day and he says, yes, God, I'm going to follow you today. I'm leaving my homeland, and I'm going to go on this huge journey for you. 
And then when he arrives, he wakes up the very next day. It actually didn't happen all this quickly. But he has, these, he has this moment of doubt where Abraham actually doesn't trust God. He's not sure. I mean, let's keep in mind that Abraham really just met this God. <laughs> right? Abraham hasn't had such a long relationship with this God, so maybe they're still trying to figure one another out. You've had, you've had friends, right? And it sometimes takes a little bit of time to get to know, can I actually trust this person? And... Or maybe another way of thinking about it is this way. How many of us have had that experience where on one day we say, yes, God, I trust you. I believe you. I believe you have a future calling for me. I believe you have a life for me. Uh, and then the next day we're terrified and anxious about whether we're going to get into college, whether we're going to get that next job, whether the next door in our life is actually going to open up. And so on the one day we may wake up and say, I have this incredible faith. And on the very next day we may sink into the depths of unbelief. Is this not human life? Is this not human life? That maybe, maybe it's on Sunday morning, we leave the service and we think, Pastor Beth's sermon, that was amazing. I know who I am. God has called me. I'm a child of God, raised from the waters of baptism, sealed with the love of Christ, all that stuff, okay? Or youth retreat, oh, it was so powerful. I felt like I was actually being uh, addressed by God, like God somehow had something special for me. And then the next day, I'm such a loser, you know, like, nobody, I, I, I have no purpose in life, like, I can't do anything right, I, I am just a nobody, and we shift between faith and unbelief all the time. I think Abraham, on some level, represents all of us here. Um, Lutherans, sometimes, maybe you heard them talk about being sinners and saints, all at the same time. That's what we are, and I think that's at least a bit of what we might get here with Abraham. I want to hear from some other groups. Where are those reporters? Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, in line with that, I mean, he did go to the land, and then there's a famine there, yes. right? And so, wait a minute. Yeah. I can't stay. I mean, it's like running into something in life. I think God's calling me to this spot, and then all of a sudden there's roadblocks and issues. and. That is impossible. In 11 verse 31, it says that Sarah is barren. She's unable to have children like all the other matriarchs in the book of Genesis. They're all barren. They don't, they're not able to have kids. And God says, even still, you will be the father of a great nation. That is not going to happen. That seems impossible. And indeed it was. And so Abraham says, I decide I'm going to trust this person, and there's yet another obstacle. I would say this actually connects with a lot of how life works out. Sometimes God's going to plant something in your heart. Some vision of what you might be called to do, some way you might contribute to the world. That vision may, at first, appear entirely impossible. And maybe that's a good sign that it might be from God. But <laughs> it, it, it may appear entirely impossible, entirely beyond reach. And yet, God is calling us to step out in faith into that uncertainty. And sometimes, and, and even after we step out, we may still run into obstacles. Like the promised land, this is the promised land, God, it's in drought. <laughs> what kind of promised land is this that we now have to go and be dependent on Egypt? So yeah, I think it's, I think it's such a fascinating point. And what else did your group come up with? Well, a 
couple of us noticed that at the end, Abram gets his wife back. Yeah. And he gets all these cows and cattle and all that kind of thing. And yet there's still negative consequences for his lack of honesty yeah. Yeah. Um, on Pharaoh and presumably on Sarai, who was in Pharaoh's holding. Right, right. Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly right. It's not a, a it's a messy, this, this story is as messy as life gets. Sometimes I think we like to have stories and lives in which the good people get all the good stuff, and then the bad people get all the bad stuff. But what this story shows is that life rarely ever works out that way. Um, in this case, Pharaoh's household suffers, Sarah suffers because of Abraham, and then Abraham ends up benefiting from it. It's messy. This is a messy story. This is how life is in the world. What else did, what else did your group Someone noticed that the, the going, leaving together from Canaan, but they settled in Haran, that it was done in stages, that it wasn't one quick to the, to the call. You know, young people, one of the great um, benefits that you have is that you have people here around who have lived for decades, literally for decades. And one thing I want to urge you to do is sometimes it's easy to look at those people and just sort of brush them aside, especially when they want to give you advice right, about what it, what, what it means to be a good young person and what you should be doing in this age of life. I want you, next time you have that compulsion, that feeling that you want to kind of dismiss one of your elders, I want you to stop and say, I want to hear your life story. I want to tell, I want, or put it this way, what are the most significant chapters in your life? Tell that to me. Tell me where your Quran is. That's where Abraham went at first, right? Ur, Quran, Canaan. What was your Ur? Where did you begin? What were your starting points? When, did, when were those moments when you felt God's, God breaking open promise to you? Ooh, that's a long one. Uh, <laughs> all of God's creation is one. What are those moments when you felt like making something open new in your life? When are those moments when that promise that you thought was going to be there actually turned out to be a family? Pause and ask those questions. Ask the old, ask the older people in your life to tell you those stories. Because it's likely that you'll end up in very similar situations to them. Yeah, I love what you're saying though about the stages of his journey. That it didn't just all kind of come at once. It's this broader journey thing that we're going to be exploring over the next few years. Is there anything else that you're going to do on? Um, just the, that question of um, Abram's loyalty to his wife and God and his call, and that God pushed Abraham past his comfort zone um, in asking him. That, that's, that's kind of Abram not trusting God as sort of being pushed out of his comfort, comfort zone. Yeah, and, and pushing out of a comfort zone, yeah, that's kind of, I mean, almost an understatement. Like, this, is, this is a big deal to be relocated one, from one place to another. Keep in mind that they didn't speak the same language in Canaan with his folk in the war. So it's not just asking him like, to walk, go down the street, you know, in America, like, oh, I'm going to move I'm gonna move from uh, Minneapolis to Los Angeles. Okay, fine. They all speak basically the same language down there. You know, you can understand Californian. 
um, then you know it's basically the same kind of language. And then that's relatively easy. In this case, he's being asked to go from a very, one culture to a very different one, one with different mm -hmm. one with a different language, different So here's my question to you. How many of you right now, maybe giving a little raise of finger, feel pushed out of your comfort zone in some way Another brave reporter. Yes, okay. One of the things that we talked about is that um, when he was called to leave, that he was 75. <laughs> yes, and so that he was already, you know, very settled in his life and that most people in this country would be thinking about retirement and relaxation and not picking up and starting an entirely new foreign life. Yeah. How many people know? the fact that, you know, okay, he's being called at, called at a very old age, but what else did that communicate to you? Why did that stick out to you, do you think? Thank you. Why did Abraham's age stick out to you? For us, it was because it also then brought into the beautiful wife who was similarly aged, beautiful enough to perhaps be a problem, but then we got into the whole context of, in the, in the first verse we read, they were 205. So in the context of the ages, she and he were maybe 25 and 40 relative to our lifespans. So we, we kind of tried to look at the context of the time. That's right, the people in this part of the Bible famous example is Methuselah, right, who, if you saw the most recent Noah movie, he is played by Anthony Hopkins, I think, and he lives to be like 965, <laughs> quite old. So, no, you're right about that, um, that we have to consider that it's, relatively speaking, it's not ancient. Uh, it's still old, though. 
So I think we could still kind of think about it. So maybe th that's a really good point. Thank you for bringing that up. For the rest of you that noticed his age, what else, what was that speaking to you? Why was that significant? I have to kind of twist my, you know, rotate around. There we go. So as older and wiser ones, we're trying to think back, and did we hear at one point that there was a reason why people lived for a long time and now they don't anymore? Yeah. Did it happen in the Bible that there was a story about that? Or are we just thinking? No, no, that's okay. exactly right. Yeah, the, uh, the age of humans is limited after the flood. Um, you do still get some people who seem to kind of exceed that a little bit, sort of the, the, the leftovers, as it were. But yeah, in general, after the flood, uh, you do get a limitation on age. So that, that is exactly right. Other comments on the age? What else was that communicating? Yeah, go ahead. Maybe for some of us at a certain age, we think, well, there's, there's nothing left for God to do with me. I'm at a certain stage, and uh, I've missed my opportunity or time. But according to this story, uh, it's never too late. You never know what God might be up to, no matter how old, no matter how old you are. I think that's such, a, such an important point, especially in a context like this. You know, our culture, I don't think it really values elderly people in the way that other cultures do. Um, within my own Chinese culture, for example, okay, uh, elderly people are profoundly respected because they're seen as, as, as those who have, have gone the journey ahead of you. They're sources of wisdom, and they're also those who took care of you often in, in your youth. And so I, I think this is a really important point because when we, when we choose to neglect people who are older, we also subtly and at the same time say, God really is done with them. They have nothing more to contribute. But then I wonder, reading this story, might there be Abraham's and Sarah's in the midst of this congregation? People whom God is calling into new things, into new promises. And so one of the questions we can ask ourselves is, God, help me to see them. Help me to see how you're calling people of a different age than my own. Help me to see in particular how <clears throat> elderly people are being used by you right now and how I might also be a blessing to them. Yeah. Let's get a report from another group. What else did you hear? Yeah, Pastor. Mm -hmm. Um... I think one thing we were wondering about is Abraham says yes. Um, how was that the night before with Sarah? How did that go over? Um, or, or with all with Lot and all this other stuff that they have. Um, obviously, we're not our own. We belong to other people, and decisions impact others. Yeah, just what the pillow talk was between Abraham and Sarah that night when he said, oh, by the way, um, we're taking off tomorrow. <laughs> um, how did that go over? I actually think this is an important question. And uh, what could be interesting is for us to speculate and say, well, what do you actually think they might have been saying? 
pillow to pillow, as it were. You know, so they're they're getting ready for bed, or maybe you know, uh, Abraham's brushing his teeth. I don't think they really did that back then. But you know, he's brushing his teeth, and they're standing there, you know, in front of the mirror, and he's like, well, um, so this uh, disembodied voice said something to me last night, and uh, we're supposed to go from here to here. What what do you think about that? I mean, you only have to imagine. God is going to call, something, call Abraham to something quite a bit more terrifying. Um, if you read a little bit ahead in this story to Genesis 22, where God is going to call Abraham to place, ooh, sorry about that, his, place his promised son on an altar and kill him as a sacrifice. God will ultimately intervene, thank God. But... What a terrifying call. Could you imagine a pillow talk that way? <laughs> I imagine Abraham may not have said anything at all. Uh, but I think it's a great question. What might they have been talking about? What kind of fears would you have in that situation? Yeah. That's helpful. What are some of the reports, some other notable points of conversation that you have? Yeah. Can you answer that? Yeah. Thank you. Hi. Hey. Well, um, both of ours, we had like two questions, and they kind of tie into each other. So the first one was, when Abraham lied to the Pharaoh, why was the Pharaoh punished and not Abraham? And then that kind of went back to when God said to Abraham, like, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. But why does he put Abraham on that pedestal, kind of? Why does God put Abraham yeah. on that Okay, thank you. Oh, actually, you can hold on to that for a second. So, isn't it interesting that God would choose this guy who will, one chapter later, lie about his wife, kind of the scoundrel? Um, first of all, we don't know why God chose Abraham. The text doesn't say that he was particularly wonderful, that he was some kind of uber-righteous man, more righteous than anyone else in the whole New No, we don't know. God doesn't. Uh, and, and God chooses this, this one man to go and be a blessing to the world. And remember, his, Abraham's vocation, his calling at this moment is that he will, he will be a blessing to the nation. And what does he do in his first encounter with the nation? He, in fact, brings a curse on them. Uh, and so we see already Abraham, in this story is about Abraham's failure to fulfill this calling in his very first step into that call. And I think I would again point back to uh, what I said earlier about how we are, we are both at the same time saints and sinners. We have this precious call from God, but so often we exercise that call in a way that is harmful to other people. And so... Uh, Pharaoh ends up paying the consequences for Abraham's sin. And that's, that's again, I think, I think that just points again to the, the fact that we often make decisions that result in negative consequences for other people. So, yeah. But he, he, doesn't, he doesn't walk in his calling to be a blessing to the nations of that point. Now, he will, um, in a couple chapters, in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, um, and what happens in this story is that God decides that God will, is going to blast Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. And so what does Abraham do? 
Abraham haggles with God and tries to bargain him down. He says, God, well, I'm not sure if you should destroy the city. What if there are a couple people in there, you know, that are righteous? Maybe you should spare them in that case. And he tries to argue God down. And at that moment, this is, in fact, one of the first times when Abraham actually steps into that call, when he actually is trying to be a blessing to the nation. But he has quite a few fumbled steps uh, prior to that. So, yeah, those are really good questions. You had a follow-up one? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so then, like, do I have to talk into this? Yeah, we'll see Oh, so then, like, since God's kind of protecting Abraham because Abraham's being a blessing for God, but what if God was, like, trying to communicate and get across to other people, too, like the Pharaoh, and then he uses, like, the Pharaoh, and he puts him through something bad to benefit Abraham, but, like, I don't know, never mind. No, 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 that's not a bad question at all. That's a really good question. Um, So God, this is what... This is what you, God privileges Abraham. That is true. God has this plan. Um, well, just in response to her question, Pharaoh doesn't exactly behave in the best way either. I mean, he's not, he's not innocent. He runs a country where somebody's afraid that they're going to get killed because their wife is beautiful and she'll be taken. And, and even though she's her sister, you know, she still got taken by Pharaoh. So it's not like Pharaoh's completely, completely innocent in this situation either when we, when we look at it, I guess. That's just, I mean, I just, it's possible that God's doing two different things there. Yeah, that's right. I mean, certainly protecting Sarah uh, from, and, and removing her, is making sure that she'll be but then also maybe judging Pharaoh for an appropriate thing. So I think from the perspective of the Pharaoh, he actually doesn't know that he's doing, that he's taking, you know, he thinks he's taking the sister. He's still taking her. Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, woman's rights here, does yeah. she not have, you know, yeah. No, no, you're right, you're right. How many of you, when you were reading this story, in this verse, or where I am in my life right now, that speaks to me in a particular way. Did any of you have that experience? Are you raising your hand, sir? Okay, do you, do you mind sharing? Even kind of rough outline, yeah. When you didn't trust God a lot, I felt like I don't really, well, I do trust God, but I feel like sometimes I don't believe that He's there because I never, I never, I don't really talk to Him. Like so He does, like. I didn't, I didn't quite understand what you were saying. Oh, like. I feel like these people always like actually like talk back and forth to God, but then yeah. I never have. So I think kind of think about that. Like, I why not? Why haven't I talked back and forth to Him? Yeah, this is okay. So this is a really good question. I don't know if you all heard that or understood what He was saying. Is He's saying, it seems that these people have this kind of, I don't know, like God is in their address book or something like that. <laughs> this kind of direct line to God. Where God says something, you know, so the prophets sometimes will have these incredible visions of God, right? And, and I think what I hear you saying is that you don't feel like you have that kind of relationship. What's interesting about the Abraham story is that while it does say 
gives this little promise. says, God, you know, said to Abraham, you know, go forth from your land and uh, I will uh, uh, make you a blessing and you'll be the father of all these nations. It doesn't actually say how Abraham received that message. Isn't that interesting? And then additionally, I don't know if you noticed when you started reading in verse 31, but Abraham was already on his way to Canaan with his father. Did you notice that? So he actually, it's not clear when Abraham received the call. Was it while he was back at Ur and then his father somehow decided that they would go? Or was it while Abraham is on the way and then he somehow knows that God has called him to something else? We don't actually know how he receives that message. And so it's a little bit ambiguous. And I think what we see through all of the Bible is that God is speaking to people in very, very different ways. Sometimes through natural phenomena. God, for instance, at Sinai, God will speak in powerful kind of weather-oriented sorts of ways. God will do this as well to Elijah. And sometimes God will speak in these kind of direct communicative words. At other times, God will speak through other people of faith or sometimes people who are outside of the faith. And so what, while we've only looked at the one story here, I think we have to look at the broader biblical story and see that God actually speaks in many, many different ways. And rarely, I think, at least in our own personal experience, do we get this kind of email from God. You know, <laughs> like signed from, from the, by, the divine, by the divine hand itself. More often, we see ourselves called uh, maybe through a friend who says, you know, you really are gifted in such and such a way. Or I really see how God is at work with, work with you here. Or we have this passions that sort of well up in our heart. So I would just say to you that God speaks in very, uh, quite a few different ways within the Bible, and the fact that you have never had this experience of God sort of speaking to you in some kind of audible voice is not actually very, uh, that is not strange at all, but is in fact true to the Bible in many different ways. It's a really good question, though. What's important, I think, about your question furthermore is the assumption that God is still speaking God is not silent. And remember, this is the whole point of this exercise, is that we were going to listen together to how God might be addressing us, how God's text might be disturbing us, and we might have to wonder, why is this text so weird? Again, then we get back to the, there we get back to the strangeness of the text. Or how we might, you know, as, as an older person, might be being addressed by this text, and God calling us into something new. And so God, that's the whole assumption of this exercise, is that God is, continues to speak today and in many, many various ways. Who else, did, did any of the, the, the rest of you hear yourself somehow specifically addressed by this text? Yeah, let me get the mic to you. So I have a prelude before I answer that one. Yeah. To the question of why was Abraham singled out, it makes me think... But wait, no, it's just that we only know Abraham's story. How many other stories just didn't make the cut? How many other stories were happening in parallel or tangent and just didn't make the cut into the book? So maybe he wasn't the only one, but we know his story. And to that... So for me, as I'm reading this, I felt a real kinship with that story. Because at the age of 19, 
I loaded my car, I withdrew my bank account, I put my bike on top, and I went from my little rural world of Mo Western Montana, and I drove to Southern California, to a destination that ended up not actually existing. I did, I spoke the language. I spoke the language, but it was a very different world and it was by myself, a single woman of 19. There was supposed to be something at the end of that that ended up not being there because of other people's falsehoods. So it was kind of my drought. So for me reading that, it was a real kinship to that. What made that possible though, was a, even though I wouldn't name it as I would name it now, because that's a different part of my life when I was not owning faith, but I had faith. I had faith in goodness. I had faith that it would support me. I, I believed that it would have a good ending. And I always knew that I had the support. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's remarkable as we, thank you so much for sharing that story. That is look back on your life, you see how God was at work even in hidden ways. Like, I think, I, think, I think that's part of what I hear you saying is that even though you may not have been living a Christian life or, you know, believing in God, God is nonetheless there. And that's part of what we see in the story of Abraham with his in his encounter with Pharaoh. Even though Abraham is certainly not living this exemplary life at the moment, God is nonetheless in hidden ways caught up in that situation, working God's will out somehow and sometimes in very hidden ways. So th thank you for sharing that story. Others of you that may have heard your own self reflected, may have seen your own face in any of these stories. Yes, sir. This kind of gets into reading ahead, but uh, uh, Abram went uh, to Shechem and uh, then the Lord said, give you this land. Well, that's nice, but he didn't stop. He just kept going. Why did he go to Egypt? You know, all this problem happened. Eventually, he went back from Egypt, back to the original spot, which was the land God had said, I'm going to give you, and that's where he settled. So, and it occurs to me that sometimes God brings us someplace and we say, yeah, this is really cool, but, you know, if he brought me here, maybe I should go somewhere else too. And so you're not satisfied with what you've been given and you overreach or you, or you not necessarily overreach as in try to do too much, but you try to take too much. So I, I'm, I'm just Did not... Some, and you feel like this kind of connected with your own... Well, yeah, and I thought to myself there have been times when... Uh, you know, I've been put into a really good situation, thought, well, this is cool, but gosh, you know, there's another brass ring out there or something that I should strive for, and it, and it, it was like Egypt. There was perils there, and I had to do things that uh, were not true to myself to live in that situation, and then eventually I had to circle back to where I was comfortable. But, you know, as humans, we tend, yeah. you know, if, if we have one, Maybe two would be better. Sure. So I, so I just wonder, maybe Abram going to Egypt was, uh, there's more to it. That It was kind of a, a lesson to us that where's our Egypt after God has given us something. 
where are we going to go that we really didn't need to go anyway? I think we have about two minutes left. Is that right? Do I say, oh, did I see a hand over here? No? Anyone else who wants to share where they might have seen themselves kind of addressed by this text? So here's what I want to encourage you to do over the next, over the next week. Take some time, if you can, to read through the books of Genesis and Exodus. Um, as much as you can, I know that's a lot to, lot to do, but maybe even over the next month or so. Think about reading through the books of Genesis and Exodus, because in both cases, these are books about journeys with God, journeys with one another, and about God calling God's people into this new and emerging future that will ultimately culminate in God freeing them uh, from bondage in Egypt uh, through, the person, through the person of Moses. And as you go through those texts, I encourage you to read them around the dinner table as a family, maybe just little snippets at a time. Read them around the dinner table as a family and simply ask the question, where do we as a family hear ourselves being addressed? Where do I? What are the questions that emerge for me in this text? Where do I hear myself called into something new? And begin to invite the Spirit to speak to you as you read those texts together as a family. Let's conclude with a word of prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for our stories and for the way that you are hidden uh, on every page. Hidden and active and calling us into new things, new and surprising things, sometimes terrifying things, sometimes disturbing things. We thank you that you permeate our life. I pray that our hearts will be sensitive to how you are addressing us, how you are speaking to us at this season in life, at this chapter in life. Tune our ears to your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's give a round of uh, thank you to Dr. Chan. Thank you so much. Um, and I like that, to continue thinking about that. And you're not going to believe this, but I'm preaching on Genesis 12 on Sunday. So we'll continue the conversation next Wednesday. Um, ninth graders, you're going to be um, in the fireside room. And the rest of us will be back in the conference room with Dr. Chan. So thanks again for being here tonight.